93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to another coronavirus special podcast. On the show this week, we spoke to leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson, about uh, potential for local lockdowns in the UK. We also were chatting zoos uh, to Marwell Zoo. Commercial director Sean Manny was on the show. Uh, and then we focused on your physical and your mental health with the help of the hypnotist and author Paul McKenna, who's got a podcast out called The Positivity Podcast. We also spoke to Associate Professor Adam Hawkey about maintaining our physical health as we exit lockdown. And then a little bit later on, Claire Webb from Mediation Now on how families are faring in difficult times with COVID-19. But we will kick off, of course, talking to leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. I put the question to him as to whether or not a local lockdown in Portsmouth was going to be happening. Starting off with the few media reports that have been around in the last 24 hours about a local lockdown in Portsmouth. Can you put those to bed? Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh, It's just rubbish reporting. Um, We're one of the cities with the very lowest numbers of infections. So um, Leicester have got 135 infections per 100,000 people. We have half of one person per 100,000. So we're 270 times better than what's happening in Leicester. We've had an assurance directly from the Secretary of State from Health that there's no prospect of a local lockdown here in Portsmouth, uh, and the press reports are rubbish. So uh, essentially, uh, we heard it in the news actually from another council, so essentially what you're saying is, is don't be alarmed, but stay vigilant. Absolutely. We, we, can't, we can't be complacent, but, but our numbers are really very low. So... Over the whole of June, we had five people test positive for coronavirus in Portsmouth. Sure. And, um, and, and we're not, sh- and, and they're slight, not sure whether it, in the last week it's been zero or one, but we're really, really low. I'm, I'm sure that people will be, will be reassured by that. And, 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 but I, I want to know if, as, as we know, that this isn't going to go away, coronavirus yep. isn't going to go away, if, if we, we really hope it doesn't, but if things do start to turn, you know, in the direction that we don't want them to, mm. what powers do you have? What, what, what powers do you have as, as Portsmouth City Council and would you, tr- would you be willing to do a similar thing to what Leicester have done? Well, I think we, we need to take a, a slightly lower level first. The, the first thing we want to do is to make sure that um, infection levels don't rise. So I think one of the places that people are being most concerned about um, have been pubs and restaurants with lots of people drinking in, in, uh, in places and, and getting too close to each other. Because pubs and restaurants are going to open, but they have to maintain social distancing. So the idea of lots of people standing together at the bar is absolutely out. And if that happens, we will shut down those pubs. So that'll be the council? That won't have anything to do with the government? We have have powers under the Coronavirus Act and the licensing legislation to be able to go in and say, um, you're you're not doing this um, correctly, we're shutting you down. Um, and so we're going into business. We have been going into businesses throughout this, but people who've opened when they shouldn't have opened, and we've been shutting them down. So we we have powers to work where there are individual establishments that are not obeying the rules. If we ever get to the point that that um, we start to get a very big increase in infections, which I hope won't happen, then 
we know what works. We've done it. In Portsmouth, we've managed to beat the disease almost completely by making sure that we do social distancing really, really strictly. I think now government will be less pushy to get people out of hospital, even when they've got coronavirus and into care homes, because that caused real problems in care homes around the country and in Portsmouth. So we know what we'd have to do, but I think we're, we're nowhere near that. Actually, I think we should, the people of this city deserve a, a, to give themselves a pat on the back because we have, we have really worked successfully to make sure that we've, we've, we've pulled the infection rates in the city down really, really well. So Hampton's infection rates, um, a number of people who've tested positive, is almost double that of Portsmouth. Mm. I, I, I just want to pick you up on what you said about the... the I, I completely accept that the, mo- the, the biggest risk is, you know, these pubs and the restaurants mm. reopening. However, in, in Leicester, and I, I don't want to focus too much on this, but in, in Leicester, they haven't had pubs and, and restaurants reopen. Yep. They also have had the same, same laws set by the government yep. as, as we have had. What do you think, without speculating too much, what do you... What, do you really think has is the reason for Leicester then? If everyone's under the same rules, regulations, but we've seen that they yeah. sometimes they won't work. What what do you what do you think's driven it? I think one of the things that's very different between us and Leicester um, is we're at the end of the line. You go down on the railway and you stop when you get to Portsmouth because if you don't, um, the, you fall in the sea. Um, <laughs> We stopped the ferries very early, so we've not had lots of passengers going through the ferries. Uh, We were very, very clear with people um, on the messages we put out uh, through the media and on the signs coming into the city. At the beginning, we were very clear to people that they were not welcome to come to South Sea and to go to the seafront, that people should have stayed at home. The thing I think is different from Leicester is instead of them being at the end of something, they're right in the middle of the country. So they've got lots more people travelling through Leicester um, and potentially stopping than we have. So, so I think that's one of the things that's very, very different. Why do we? Why do we need to? Well, firstly, do we need to? To, to reopen things in Portsmouth, and, and, I, and by, by things, I mean things like the, the road uh, at South Sea, you know, by the seafront. It, it kind of makes me question now, do we, do we need to reopen all these things, like, you know, yet? Well, so, so for me, the, the, the plan has always been with the seafront road. To, the, the two sections that are closed off were done to try to make sure that people could socially distance when they were on the prom or cycling to make sure they could keep the two metres distance that we're meant to do. Uh, the advice hasn't changed. If you can keep two metres away from each other, that's what you should do. Only if you can't, maybe it's okay down to a metre. But, but we need to make sure and recognise how, how much space people need if they're going to get some exercise. We know how, how popular the common is. We know how popular the prom is. They're the lungs of the city. Um, they're the place people love to go. So I think we've got to make sure that we can let people get there, let them enjoy the seafront as safely as possible. And that's why I think the seafront road needs to, to stay closed. The plan was always that it would reopen in September, and I think we're sticking with that plan. 
Okay, so 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 September's where where we where we look for for things like that to reopen. Yeah, but but I think up up till then we need to try to make sure that we are giving people the maximum opportunity to get out, get some fresh air, but in a way that's really really safe. And what what do you expect that people will now? Now, now that everyone's heard this news of Leicester, do, do you think that it will make people around Portsmouth more vigilant? I don't know. I think people have behaved really well. I, I, I think there are some people who haven't kept to the rules. But, but when I go to the co-op, everybody queues, nobody moans, everybody queues two metres apart. It's what we do. Um, and people have been really, really good at, at sticking to that. And, and what's the, from what you know, how are, are the pubs, the bars, the, the restaurants, how are the hotels, how are they feeling about this big day I saw described earlier as Super Saturday, which I'm not sure is the most uh, most <laughs> most encouraging way to no, describe and it. I think the interesting the feedback, and I, I've not talked directly to people, but, but the council's been phoning different pubs, um, and restaurants, etc., to say, look, what are your plans? How can we help? How can we make sure that you've got enough space to be able to serve people in a socially distanced way? Interesting feedback I've had from, from, from people to say is that not everybody is opening on Saturday. Um, that some people have decided they won't. Um, they want to take a little bit longer to try to make sure they do it safely. Is there anything the council can do if they, if these, you know, because a lot of these places, if they decide not to open on saturday very simply financially it is it is it will be a nightmare for it is there anything the council can do to support them if they just take their make their own decision that no they don't feel comfortable opening that they've been um, all businesses have been able to access grants from the government um, which the council's administered um and they've been able to access that along with everybody else but will they continue and um, they've been one-off things um, apart from the furlough scheme, uh, and, and that's a government scheme that's got to be available across the whole country. We're, we're not creating our own little Portsmouth one. Because I, 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 just, I just fear for if it's going to be if if suddenly there's, for example, if there's a shop where you can't social distance in, and therefore they can't open on, or a pub that they can't open on on Saturday, and they're they they've not been they've only got a grant you know to last yep. them however so far is there going to be anything new that they're going to suddenly be able to have access to i i don't think so but that's down to the government but we but what we're doing is to help people so that um we can have queues outside shops so we can put down markers on the pavements to show where people stand so, and, and getting shops to talk to each other about how they organize queues between the between them so they don't get into conflict over that um, so there shouldn't be anything that stops people opening. Um, they, getting people into shops now, maybe you're only allowed one customer in at a time, but then people can still queue outside. So I hope shops will choose to open. Um, they need to, to be able to bring income in to keep those shops going. And just finally, Gerald, before we before we let you go, appreciate your time as always. Um, what? How would you reflect on these one hundred days? As I remember, it was twelve weeks of, a few weeks ago. But mm. but hundred days. What what was your reflection? Um. Well, I've just had to go online um, uh, to order clothes because I'm fatter than I was. <laughs> um, um, three and a half months at home, um, and because 
my husband is shielded. I'm not going out very very much at all. Um, uh, and it means I, I, I haven't been to council for three and a half weeks. Um, I work three and a half months. I'm working exclusively on video calls the whole time. Um, it's been a very, very bizarre three and a half months. Um, my hair is enormously long. <laughs> I hope that when I have my hair cut, that accounts for my weight gain, but it probably won't. Um, but actually, I think it means that we've learned to value some things more than we've done before. We've learned that key workers are not just the consultants in the hospitals. It's the cleaners. It's not just um, uh, uh, people who are running schools. It's the people who keep the shops open, who make our food. So I, I think we've, we've all learned things. You mentioned weight. That's, uh, you, you set me up perfectly for, for talking about our next guest that's going to be on later. You can keep listening. Associate Professor Adam Hawkey will talk to us all about that a little bit later on, Gerald, but, so you can continue. I, I suffer. My husband is, is, is loves making cakes, but as diabetic, he won't eat them. So, so, so that's, that's my job, and we keep the neighbours going. Tough old life, isn't it, Gerald? That Tough. Is terrible. <laughs> well, thanks, as always, for your, for your time this um, evening. We're, go on. Just, just one more thing, just to say, libraries yep. are opening next week. So the Central Library, South Sea Library and North End Library are opening next week. Um, smaller libraries will follow later, but the areas where they haven't got libraries, the, the mobile library will be out much more frequently to be able to provide service to people there. Um, and um, uh, cash offices in, in housing offices will be opening again, so people who, who like to pay their rent uh, in cash will be opening next week as well. So, so services are, are, are opening up all the time. That's great news. Well, Gerald, thank you so much as always for your time this evening. Appreciate it. Cheers then. Bye-bye. Local radio for Portsmouth. This is Express FM. Of course, it's not just shops and bars, uh, pubs that are reopening. Uh, Also, zoos are reopening this week. We've got the commercial director of Marwell Zoo, Sean Manny, uh, on the line. Sean, you're reopening this week, but in a way you've had to sort of continue operations throughout lockdown. Yeah, absolutely right. Again, for for a lot of businesses, it's a matter of um, the staff going on furlough, lock the doors, walk away until you're able to come back and and start looking at reopening. Um, For us, it's a little bit different. Certainly, the the public zoo all closed down. Um, Lots of the operational teams um, went away on furlough, like a lot of other organizations. But... We have the difference here of all these animals, um, and uh, we still have this huge and wonderful collection to look after. There are no compromises with the care of that collection and our animals, so that entire part of the operation has to carry on as if nothing has happened. Uh-huh. So all our animal feed, animal keepers, veterinary care, um, and even the landscapes. Um, you know, we have 140 acres of landscapes here, and, and that grass keeps on growing. So, again, we do try and think about and plan for, the, you know, that kind of occasion, even if something like this is far more extreme uh, and longer than we would normally cope with. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, we'd be planning, say, for heavy snow or um, uh, a small hurricane or something that, that could affect our ability to get in for a couple of days. Three months is obviously quite an extreme time. How long could you, uh, of, obviously things are changing this week, which we'll come on to in a second, how long could you have, um, could you have survived? How long could this have gone on for for you? Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, you know, we we we're very lucky in that we were we've been quite careful to manage our financial position. But like pretty much everywhere else, and and you'll see different stories from from different zoos around the country. We've been particularly hard hit because we can't just shut the doors and turn the taps off. We've got these 
big costs ongoing each month. Uh, and that very quickly eats up your cash reserves. Um, and then you're into government support schemes and loans, etc. cetera. Um, we're no different from anybody else. And even though we're now open, you know, we still need that ongoing support. Um, so we're still looking and discussing um, with the government about ongoing support. But at the same time, what's really important to us now is to make the most of the time we're open and get as much support as we can from our, our members and our guests. Sure. So, so uh, let's come on to, to your reopening then. W- was there any? Was there firstly? Was there any sort of hesitancy in sort of the decision to reopen? And secondly, what's um, what's essentially what's practically happening this week? Okay. Well, we've always obviously, you know, from pretty much the time that we've closed, been looking at how do we reopen. Now, again, with the changing situation and, and different um, guidance documents and regulations coming in, you're very much making plans, and then the next day you're changing them again, and the next day you're updating them yet again. That will be no different. I'm sure most business owners have felt exactly the same thing. Um, we'd always been working to the the government um, guidance, which looked at early July for for uh, organizations like us. Um, obviously, that date got brought forward, um, which was great news, um, but we felt that we needed to make sure we had everything in place. So as it happened, we were able to bring the date forward by almost a week, but we're quite comfortable with, with the date that we opened, which of course was uh, Monday of this week, and, and it's been great for the first few days. Uh, and I, 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 Am I right in saying that it's been a sort of a, a members only for this week, and then you, you open to everyone on Friday? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to say, throughout this whole process and the lockdown, uh, our members, that's our annual pass holders, have been absolutely amazing. We've had lots of members whose memberships expired during the lockdown who said, look, you know, don't worry about extending us. Um, You know, we'll donate that. We'll renew our membership. We've had lots of people buying memberships um, during the lockdown as a means of supporting us. And we just want, and they've been very patient, and and we wanted to say thank you. So what we've done is to make sure the first four days are opening are just for them, give them a chance to come and have a good look around, um, gives us a chance just to make sure everything's working okay, and then we'll have our first paying guests, uh, our first day guests coming in from Friday. I imagine it's going to be, I, I imagine you're going to be very busy because i just sort of trying to picture it in my head now that we've all had a chance to be outside recently, but we've not had such a chance to, to actually do anything or see, see anything that we're not seeing on the daily basis when we're going for a walk. Um, what, what will change? What's the sort of the customer experience going to be like um, when they start coming in from Friday? How will that differ to, to before? Okay, well, it's, it's very surreal to say this is what we're testing out at the moment um, with, our, with our member days. But sure. essentially, the first thing is, is you know, we're, we're very lucky here. We have this fantastically big site, 140 acres of Hampshire Parkland. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. However, even with that, we all have pinch points, um, you know, whether that's everybody coming through the gates or catering, uh, toilets, etc. So we made a decision, like a lot of other organizations, to restrict the numbers of guests coming in just to make sure everybody's got room for manoeuvre to be comfortable and nobody's feeling crowded at any point. So we've set a daily limit which um, will move up as we go along. So that makes sure that everybody hopefully is comfortable. We then put other measures in place. So they're all around distancing or safety and hygiene. So you will find lots and lots of hand sanitizer stations around the place. Um, On our biggest paths 
um, we're asking guests to keep left so everybody's got again room to pass each other where the pathway is narrow and obviously we have a few of those we've put one-way systems uh, into place um, we've Change catering slightly because we're still not allowed to open uh, cafes as normal. Um, so we're operating takeaway um, food services. And again, you'll probably find a few queues there. And uh, with things like Lou's, um, again, we're putting queue management in. So we've got staffing to help just to make sure that, again, everybody's comfortable and nobody feels that they're being crushed up against uh, other guests. And I have to say, so far, um, you know, we're on day three now and everything seems to be working really, really well with great feedback from our guests. Well, that's, that's brilliant to hear. And I imagine it's quite a challenge with, with the amount of space that you do have to, to, to sort of make changes to and whatnot because you, you, you've got so much land. Well, I, I'm, I'm so pleased, Sean, that it's, uh, that it's going well and all the best for Friday. And, and just finally, how have the animals got on? How, I, mean, I imagine the animals have been a bit confused the last few months. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, every every animal species reacts differently, but we've been very aware that um, a number of our animals, are, you know, they're used to very busy days, and suddenly it all went quiet um, to the point where the only human beings they were seeing were the keepers um, and our animal care staff. Um, so again, a, a part of the reason of staging this and stepping this is to get them used to the fact that there are more people around and people make sounds whether they're walking past or children screaming and being excited. <laughs> um, and so, yes, it's, I think there's probably a little bit of a bemusement amongst some of the species, but they're coping really, really well, I have to say. Um, you know, not, nobody's looking, none of our species are looking particularly frightened or scared by anything, and uh, they all seem to be quite cool, calm and collected at the moment. <laughs> That's all we can ask. So there's some cool heads in this, uh, in this crazy time. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to hear it. Sean, thanks so much for, for your time on the Coronavirus Special, and um, all the best for for Friday when you properly fully reopen. That's really kind. Thank you very much indeed, Robbie. Lovely to speak to you. That is the commercial director of Marwell Zoo, Sean Manny, on the coronavirus special. Right, we're going to talk about our physical and mental health now. And, and we'll kick off talking about our mental health. We're going to chat to hypnotist and author, uh, also uh, the presenter of the Positivity po- uh, podcast, which is available now, Paul McKenna, on the show. Evening to you, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon to you, Robbie. Uh, how are things? I imagine like many people at the moment you are you are someone that has had a very busy few months i have actually yes um, i mean it's not been uh the usual breakneck speed of my life and uh, actually i quite like that but but yes definitely very busy because um what i do in terms of helping people with anxiety stress getting better sleep um staying positive uh, is something that people need right now of course, and, and, and we've spoken to quite a few people on the show in the last few weeks who have had to sort of innovate with, with what they do in, in their work. And of course, you with, with the, the Positivity podcast, it sort of had to, you've, you've sort of innovated that interestingly as well in the, in the last sort of month or so. Well, thank you. Yes, um, uh, I started doing this podcast uh, about 18 months ago. And um, the idea is to interview really interesting people, well-known people, household names, and discover their success mindset, what keeps them positive. And it's, it's everyone from Simon Cowell to Mel B to Prue Leith to Richard E. Grant to I know, Roger Daltrey to Gary Lineker to Bob Geldof. And, um, and so um, what happened was about three months ago, somebody said, 
uh, why don't you um, use your podcast, because you've got a massive audience for it, to, um, to explain or to demonstrate the techniques that you use to help people to reduce stress and get calm when they're anxious, to help them to sleep well at night if they're, if they're struggling with that, to stay happy in their relationships, to, um, to get motivated, to get confident, those sorts of things. So I did, I've recorded podcasts on all sorts of different subjects, and they're there for free if anybody wants to download them. And I know the, the, the latest uh, episode of the podcast is overcoming coronaphobia, which is a, t- a term actually that I only really sort of learned about in the, in the last couple of weeks. Just explain to us what that term means, coronaphobia. Well, okay, coronaphobia, is, it's, a, it's a term that's in the sort of mainstream media use. And a phobia traditionally is an irrational fear. So, you know, being scared of all dogs, dentists, elevators, etc. The only thing with the, the coronavirus is it, it is quite rational to have a fear of the, of the virus. Um, but if you are consumed with thinking about it all the time, you know, and you're, you're actually uh, living in a state of anxiety, that's not very functional. Or if, you know, you're too scared to go back out into the world or, you, you know, you're just worried about what the world's going to be like, how you'll fit in, how it'll be different, that sort of thing, then this is really to help you. So um, my take is that if you're doing all the the reasonable things that you should be doing, like washing your hands, um, wearing a mask, socially distancing, and you're still scared, then let me help you. And, and how does that help sort of begin? What, what, what would you say are sort of the first steps? Because a lot of people, I suppose, a, a, a lot of people I've also heard just say sort of, well, if you don't want to do these things, then, then you don't have to. How does it start? To, how do you start to make those movements? Okay, well... Um, I suppose the best way to describe it is how do people scare themselves, first of all, because the only way to feel bad is to either remember something bad that happened or to imagine something bad that could. And so a lot of people, because understandably there has been so much media about how this could be potentially really, really bad, have begun to catastrophize. So what they do is they sit at home and they think about there being germs everywhere and and terrible things that could happen to them. And... And that really is, in some respects, that's a protection mechanism. So we all need fear to tell us to be prepared so that we're, we're kept safe. But when the job of our, of our mind, if you like, protecting us um, gets overdone, then it turns into an irrational fear. And so that paralyzes, makes our world smaller and stops our, our freedom and our choices. So in the same way that people imagine over and over again all the bad stuff, yeah. I suggest that what people do is a process called mental rehearsal, which athletes use. They imagine running a race over and over again before they actually do it. Yep. Or imagine some sort of event. Now, this is something actually that all high achievers do. They imagine success before it occurs. And so what I suggest is very simple. You imagine you're sitting looking at a screen. And on that screen, in your mind, you imagine a movie, if you like, of you going back out into the world, you know, wearing your your gloves, your mask, your socially distancing, uh, all the things that you know you should do. But in that movie, you look confident, you look motivated, you look resilient, and you're doing all the things that you want to be able to do. When that movie looks good, you go over and you float into yourself, and you see through your eyes, hear through your ears, you, you feel what it feels like to feel confident in the outside world. And you do this over and over again until that becomes your default setting. And the other thing I suggest uh, to people, uh, because some people go, well, it's all very well, I'm imagining it at home, but what if I get out and I'm on public transport and I get scared? I go, well, 
you should do this, something called heart math. Now, this is used by all four divisions of the American military. If you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, a bit panicky, put your hand on your heart, because that moves your attention to your heart, which is your second brain. And then take three slow, deep breaths, because when people are stressed, they don't breathe properly. So you breathe that, you breathe in, and you gently breathe out. And then you breathe in again, and you gently breathe out. And on that third breath, you remember a time you felt good. So it might be you're with friends laughing. It might be you're on holiday relaxing. It might be you've fallen in love, or maybe you just won an award or something. It could be anything. And you return to that memory like you're back there again now. You see what you saw, hear what you heard, and feel how good you felt. And as you go through that memory again and again, and usually in less than a minute, you move your state of being from stress, panic, fear, to calm, relaxed, confident, resilience. And uh, this is, I say, something that people can actually do when they're out in the world and suddenly the stress is happening to them. Mm. Do you, do you, interesting listening to you talk about the sort of these proactive sort of uh, exercises that we can do and things like that. Yeah. Is there also a, is there a case for sort of sitting back and just letting your mind take you to wherever it's going to take you and then you sort of you go out into the open when you feel like it? Is there a case for that or, or is it quite yeah. important for our brain to, to make these sort of proactive steps? Well, I, I think you could let your mind do that. What I'm suggesting is that um, it's a very good idea to, to run your own brain, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you, uh, you haven't got the choice to go out because you're paralyzed by fear, that's your brain running you, not you running your brain. When you don't, see, but basically what I'm suggesting is you have more choices, more freedom. When you can't do something, it's the same with, oh, here we go, same with you know, people who are addicted to chocolate. So they look at a bar of chocolate and they can't just have one piece, they've got to demolish the whole lot. The chocolate's in charge and not you. And so the way to have more freedom is to program yourself so that you can take it or leave it. So in the same way, uh, with regard to um, going out into the world, um, you know, you, yes, you could wait until you feel good, but that might not come for a long time. Or you can stack the cards in your favor by imagining what it is you want to have happen and doing it again and again and again until that becomes second nature to you. And uh, I, I, what I'd, I'd, t- I'd say to someone if they, if they came to me, there's a lot of lot of people sort of talking to to family and friends at the moment, and sort of yeah. talking about their feelings, which is a good thing. It's really great that we're we're sure. seeing more of this in the in the last few months. But what advice would you would you give to people about talking to those around them uh, uh, who are sort of feeling anxious, uh, other than of course to listen to your podcast? But what what how I I found myself you know struggling a little bit the last few weeks to sure. to talk to people and, and to find a way to advise people because everyone's so different well indeed everybody's different um, in as much as we've got a unique personality and uh, mm. uh, but we all share the same human neurology so that means that the we all make ourselves feel good or bad by the pictures and the sounds we make in our imagination so either remembering good or bad stuff or imagining it so we all have that in common so if you're going to go talk to somebody i think um if you want someone to feel good you've got to go there yourself first yeah, you've got to be able to get into a resourceful place. Otherwise, you're not able to, to reassure people. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate in as much as I'm a, a rather um, optimistic sort of person. But 
I didn't, I wasn't always. And actually, it was over um, a period of time that I trained my mind to be this way. And it's basically like anything. You, what you practice, you get good at. You know, some people go to the gym and train themselves to have a six-pack. You know, I'm saying that a simple bit of um, mind training is a very good idea. And, um, you know, most people these days spend more time, you know, running a list for the supermarket than they do what they want to achieve in, say, the next year of their life, or five years even, or ten years. And so it's a good idea to get interested in the future because you're going to be spending the rest of your life there. So when talking to somebody else, you know, that's the other thing as well. I'm a, I'm a talker, but sometimes the best thing you can do in a communication, I think, is listen, you know, um, and actually hear what the other person's needs are. And if you can help them, that's great. And if not, you might be able to point them in the right direction. The thing is these days is if you, you know, want information on just about anything, you Google it. You just go to the Internet, and there will be, um, there'll, there'll be somebody who will have written about it, or more frequently now, if you want to know about anything, you put it into YouTube, or you put explain quantum physics to me, or explain artificial intelligence, and you know, someone pops out in a little 10-minute video will explain it. And in the same way, if you want to get confident or you want to get motivated, uh, you can put that into YouTube. You'll, you'll find lots of my stuff there. You'll find you know, stuff, good stuff by other people. So I would say when it comes to talking to people, um, nobody has all the answers. But um, if you have a few, that's great. But if you don't, you'll be able to find it online. The, the, interesting, I hear you say that. I, don't, I won't keep you too much longer, Paul. That's but right. just interesting, you mentioned there about our, us, the, the way that we, w- the ease of access to information we have, and that's just something mm. I, I want to quickly touch on before we let you go. Yeah. Is that you? Over the last few months, we have not had it our way as much, have we? We up yeah. until up until now, for many of us in our lives, we've always had. You know, we've we've been going through this unbelievable revelation of technology, and 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 there's been a sort of a sense of entitlement. And suddenly, in these last few months, yeah. we've had that taken away from us, and we're yeah. being told what to do as, as adults. How yeah. what will that have done to our brain? Well, it's um, what I found is that about thirty percent of people are terrified because the messaging has been to make people you know, aware that there is a potentially, um, you know, deadly virus. Um, a third of the people have got, like, a, I would say, appropriate level of concern. Like, they, they're looking after their health, that sort of thing. And there's 30% of people who don't give a monkeys. So what I think we are going to find from this pandemic, um, unfortunately, is that it's not just biological, it's psychological. And you will see, sadly, a lot of mental health issues come out of this. Because, um, firstly, people, you know, some people have been terrified. Some people have, as you rightly suggest, have had their routines disrupted, particularly around sleep. You know, people are getting up at different times, they're eating at different times. That alters the uh, circadian rhythm, the cycle of rest and alertness. And so um, I think what we're going to see is some good stuff, too. I mean, uh, for many people, they've had the, the chance to step back and actually do things that they've been putting off for a long time. I mean, <laughs> my friends have done so much DIY, they've literally rebuilt their houses. But then other people have taken time to learn a skill they'd wanted to or a language or something like that and so um, I know for myself I actually you know usually dash through the day because every day is a bit like a Saturday for me go to the park walk the dog I do a gratitude list every day I find that very very helpful and um, you know then make a bit of lunch you know getting a bit good at cooking so there are all sorts of positives however there are a whole load of negatives because of the unknown when we do research studies and we ask people what scares them the most the unknown is always in the top 10 sometimes even higher than death and so with the unknown about 
our health, about the economy, about the shape of the world, about people we care about. All of that has created this background stress, which has led to sleep disruption, and that's not a good thing because that weakens immune function and makes us feel grouchy. So we're going to see, I'm sadly... Uh, sad to say, a lot of mental health issues, and that will be across the full range, everything from people experiencing panic attacks to wanting to kill themselves. And, uh, you know, I just hope that, um, you know, people in the line of work that I do in, in, in mental health are, are able to help as many people as possible. Well, here, here to that, I, I absolutely think I, the amount of times I've heard the word unknown in the last few months is, yeah. is, is staggering. And, and, and thank you ever so much for all the work that you are doing, Paul, and everyone thank, thank in, in, in your, uh, your field as well. And of course, thank Paul McKenna's positive, uh, Positivity Podcast is available uh, for free to download now. Paul, thanks so much for your time. We, we appreciate you. it. Fascinating yeah. as always. Great to talk to you. God bless now. All the best. 93.7 Express FM. Time to talk about our physical health. We've got someone on the show who we've spoken to before, Associate Professor and Head of Sports Science at Solon University, Deputy Chair of the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences, Adam Hawkey. Evening, Adam. Hi there, Robbie. How are you? Yeah, very, very well, thank you. And you? Yes, good, thank you. Very well indeed. Good. Now, um, it, it's been a, been a few weeks since we, we had you on the show, and, and I suppose that the, the key thing now is that things are, things are changing um, for in, in a physical sense with our lives at the moment. Things are slowly starting to get back to normal. I suppose the, the, the place to start, is this going to have an impact, surely, on our health and fitness? Yeah, I think when we've spoken before on your show, we've we've spoken about the benefits of exercise, both from a physical perspective and also from a mental health perspective. And I think one of the things that's changed now is that people are far more aware of that. Um, there's evidence from Sport England in their recent research that more people are now exercising. Um, so we know that people, especially when the first break of lockdown um, happened, the people were going out for walks because that was their first opportunity to get out and do something. And we know that people have been exercising a lot um, with online videos and, and, and just being a little bit more aware. But what's going to be interesting as we go forward is how that's going to, how that's going to change um, and what our behaviour is going to be like, what our attitudes are going to be like to exercise as we start going back into, back into the workplace. And, and and to me, the, the, it very much seems like um, a, like a a two way sort of a, a channel or two two different roads that people have gone down throughout this this whole lockdown. Is that you've either gone down the route of okay, I've got more time on my hands, and in which case I'm going to spend much more time, you know, working on my on my health and, and and my fitness. And then you've got the other road, the other path where people are saying, well, I'm working from home, you know, I don't have to move anywhere, you know, everything's right here. I've and and they've been sitting on the sofa all the time, so. It's very difficult to sort of pinpoint where people will go with this, isn't it? Yeah, I think generally people have, like I say, people have been more aware of the importance of exercising. And there's been a lot of high level research lately in terms of, you know, the fitter you are, the, the more protected you are from, um, from general disease. You know, we've spoken before about heart disease and, and certain types of cancers and obesity and diabetes. But there's also some evidence trickling out now that um, it's protecting us a little bit against COVID as well. So, you know, the fitter we are and the healthier we are. And I think people have taken notice of that. And like you say, there's been a bit of a divide, but the majority of people have taken this upon themselves as, as a bit of a motivation to get themselves exercising. But on the other, on the other side of it, and, and, and we've spoken briefly already in terms of, you know, I, I'm, I'm working at home. Um, you know, lots of people are working at home. You know, a recent um, survey uh, from the Office of National Statistics has shown that over 50% of people are now working at home. So... You know, there's a greater amount of people sitting down far more often. And although they may be exercising as well, 
they're spending a far greater proportion of their day sitting down. And we, we know that that sedentary behaviour is, is really bad for people's health, not only from the things we've spoken about that I mentioned just a minute ago, but, but also in terms of kind of musculoskeletal disorders, you know, people getting, getting backaches. We know when we sit down all day, we end up having, you know, problems with our spine and our neck and our shoulders. Um, so these things are likely to, to increase um, if, if home working continues into the future. So how would you, what, what advice would you give to people who are, who are probably, you know, because a lot of people will probably be working from home for, for at least the next few months, you would have thought so, and some people saying, you know, up to the next year or whatever it might be. What advice would you give to people to try and stick to their, uh, or, or, or stick to staying motivated to do some exercise, you know, even though they're, they're literally from working from home every day? Yeah, I think that there's, there's three points to that, really. I think there's three kind of aspects to that question. And, and the first is that the most important thing to do is, is to maintain your activity. So, you know, if you're working at home all day, find some periods of the time when you can get yourself active. So whether that's going for a walk for an hour, whether it's, you know, if you're a dedicated exerciser and you're doing some weight training at home or, um, or you're doing some cardiovascular training, find some allocated time for you to do that throughout the day. If you're working at a desk or at home or on your sofa, what it might be, take regular breaks. So make sure that every hour, every half an hour, you're taking 5, 10, 15 minutes, you know, in that half an hour, hour time um, to just get up and have a walk around. You know, use it as an excuse to go and get a drink. Um, but do something because, you know, we said before, movement is medicine. So anything, you, any movement you're doing is really good for you. And what that also enables you to do is change your posture. Um, there's always been a, a thought in, in people's minds that, I must sit up straight. It's really good for my back if I sit up straight. Well, not if you do that for hours and hours on end. You're still going to get problems. So it's a really good idea to move yourself around, change your cushioning, change your seat if you can, um, do kind of things that keep you, um, keep your, keep your posture changing. And then, and then the final bit, you mentioned motivation, and motivation really is the key. Um, and it's important that we understand kind of how motivation works. Um, so there's two major types of, of motivation if you like one's intrinsic which is an internal measure of our of our motivation and one is extrinsic which is external so external are things like you know I, I want to lose some weight so I can get back into my clothes better that's an external kind of motivator and then the internal motivator is I want to do some training I want to do some working out because it makes me feel better it relieves some of the stress that I've been having recently so it's important that we understand what our motivations are and it's important that we try and shift to this kind of intrinsic motivation for, for the longer term because the extrinsic motivation can only last for a certain amount of time. And that's why, you know, things like diets and, uh, you know, and, and short term programs don't always work because the motivation internally is not there. Uh, so, so what, I mean, it's, it's a big question this, but, but. What would you see happening to uh, say that say the health of the na- the physical health anyway of the nation in the coming months and and maybe even the the, the coming years and, and how do people try and um, uh, try and raise more awareness around them if they're listening right now and they're thinking I don't, I'm not really aware of of how much I exercise or or you know I'm I don't stick to any sort of routine with it what would you advise for people. Yeah, sure. I mean, the guidelines from um, for the NHS, from Public Health England, also um, wider afield in terms of uh, the World Health Organization, are that we do around about 150 hours a week of moderate activity. So that could be anything from walking, cycling, swimming, um, going for a run, a, a light level, um, even even some kind of gardening. So any kind of activity. So that's around about 
if, you know, not that I'm saying we shouldn't do an exercise at the weekend, but you're looking at about 30 minutes a day. Um, so it's not a, not a huge amount that we're, that we're looking at, at doing. So the first thing to do is try and build something that you enjoy into your daily routine. And I know lots of people are going for a walk at the moment. I know around where I live, um, I've, you know, I, I've probably noticed them more because I'm, you know, I'm at home a little bit more and therefore I'm noticing far more runners and cyclists out. And that's great. So find something that you enjoy try and incorporate that into your, into your daily routine. So in, in terms of the first bit of the question about how long they should be exercising, mm. that's what the guidelines are. Um, so that's, that's a really good um, kind of starting point. But in, any movement at any point is, is really good, um, good practice. So you know, I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm not ashamed to keep saying it, movement is medicine. It's a really good way of, uh, of, of generating some kind of physical health uh, and mental health as well, of course. When we look at going forwards, um, again, you've mentioned, you know, some people have fallen into this trap of not doing so much and some people have done even more. And I think, again, we could look at this going either way. But I'm really positive. We've been spending decades uh, as a public health um, kind of community trying to encourage people to do, you know, this great free medicine, which is exercise, get out there and do some activity. And I think that message, if, if you know, if there is a silver lining to this, you know, this horrendous pandemic that we've been through, it, it is potentially the fact that people are far more aware of their own health and their own well-being. Um, and, and it's funny you've asked that question because I'm currently involved um, in, in a new book that's coming out um, shortly um, called um, Aftershocks and Opportunities, um, which is about looking at how the pandemic has changed everything in our lives. Um, and the chapter I've written is, is about leaving a legacy um, in terms of uh, COVID-19 um, and predicting that potentially in, in five years' time, we could be looking at a significant reduction um, in things like heart disease, um, in things like diabetes and all the other kind of areas I've mentioned, because people are far more aware of the importance of, of, of keeping active and, and, and keeping healthy. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's amazing the, the broadness of the impact that it's going to have on us all, you know, not just now, but, but in the future as well. Um, listen, Adam, we, we appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure, Robbie. Take care. Associate Professor and Head of Sports Science at Southern University, also Deputy Chair of the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences. That is Adam Hawkey on the Coronavirus Special. Uh, the name of that book as well is called Aftershocks and Opportunities. Uh, that'll be, I'm sure, well worth a read um, when it comes out in the near future. Right, just got time to squeeze in uh, Claire Webb from Mediation Now. Hi, Claire. Hi. Uh, so so for, for those that don't know, what is it that you guys do? So mediation is there to support families who have any issues that need to be resolved. So it enables them to resolve those issues themselves rather than having to have recourse to solicitors or courts and things like that. So it gives them the power to be able to resolve their own issues. So my, my my initial thought here, you know, we've had the last few months in lockdown. We've been stuck in our homes with our families. I, I imagine uh, that things have been that things have been busier the last few months for you, and and, and people have been getting in touch more. Um, it went very quiet to begin with, and I think all of us probably did that, didn't we? We all thought, oh my goodness, we're in lockdown. We mm. can't go anywhere. Can't do anything. And then people realised that we were still open. Um, we're just working slightly differently. We're over Zoom and things like that. Um, and yes, it's been quite busy since then. 
So what's uh, what, what's the sort of um, feel been? What what have people sort of? Uh, I, I suppose people have had it ha- had a pretty difficult time the last few months. What what's the feedback been that you've generally been receiving? I think it's been really hard because, firstly, there were a lot of questions about can I still see my children. So there was about a week where the government didn't give any guidance, which caused a lot of concern for lots of people of whether children under 18 could go between two households, that kind of thing. So then there was some guidance given that as long as there wasn't anybody who was shielding and were vulnerable, then those children under 18 could go between two households without having to um, socially distance and things like that. So that helped. Um, And then, of course, people have furloughed, people have lost their jobs, self-employed people really struggled to begin with because, of course, if we cast our mind right back, the government didn't come up with the self-employed help immediately. So there were a lot of problems about, you know, one, if we're already separating, how do we pay everything? Secondly, those who had court orders, you know, maybe they couldn't pay what was being said or they weren't having the contact that the court orders said they should have. So there were lots and lots of issues that people had, quite rightly so, you know, things that none of us had ever experienced before. Yeah, and it's been such a difficult time for for everyone with with the you know the added anxieties into life suddenly, and and all of these unknowns that we've we've kept speaking about, and and I suppose for there's difficult for for anyone, but there must be so many people at the moment out there where this is this has been a sort of a, a make or break thing, and it's put a make or break uh, sort of situation onto them with with their work or, or or with their relationships, and I imagine even more so with their relationships at the moment. I I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's brought some things to a head. I think people who were thinking about it maybe now are thinking, well, I definitely can't do that again. Um, So, you know, uh, sort of getting there maybe quicker or maybe just, you know, I feel for the ones who had just made that decision just before lockdown came that they were going to separate and then, of course, couldn't do anything about it or didn't feel they could do anything about it immediately because of lockdown. I think it's easing considerably now. You know, we are open for face-to-face meetings as well now, which definitely has helped people because not everybody wants to have a zoom call you know lots of people did and it was really good and it was much better than i expected um but you know some people do still like the traditional face-to-face and some people don't have the technology some people just don't have you know the ability to go onto zoom or whatsapp or whatever to do those meetings so you know i think just the fact that we're slightly easing although you know, we're all behind perspex in our office at the moment, which is quite interesting. Um, you know, it is getting there, and I think people are finding it easier now that things are opening up again. And, and what what uh, what's the sort of I don't want to say the customer experience, but what 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 should people expect when they when they decide to reach out to, to mediation? Um, we will basically talk through what mediation is, the process. So the process starts with a one-to-one with the mediator. And then if you wish to go any further than that, then it's a meeting which is either in the same room as each other or in separate rooms with the mediator going between or now, of course, also on um, virtual platforms. So we will 
talk people through that, but we'll also signpost them to anywhere that we think might be useful for them. So, you know, if you have been furloughed and you might be now eligible for universal credit or something like that, we will do some signposting to help people to know where to go and what to do. We'll also talk through the pros and cons of making applications to the court versus mediation um, and just generally give them some guidance as to what to expect from the whole process. It's, it's great to hear that people have um, that, that so many people have felt like they can reach out because uh, I, I know that it's what you what you're there for and I know people will appreciate it a lot. So Claire, thanks so much for for chatting to us and um, and I hope the next few weeks and few months as we ease our way out of lockdown go well for you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. A big thank you once again to all of my guests this week. Don't forget, if you have a question for future episodes of the Coronavirus Special or a story you would like to tell us about uh, your time in lockdown, you can email me anytime. Robbie at expressfm.com is the direction to fire your emails to. And the Coronavirus Special is back on Wednesday from six o'clock.